0: Well, at the, at the risk of sounding coy, we really could talk this morning about this subject. What do you do with a girl named Mary? What do you do with this woman? Uh, she was betrothed, so she was probably a teenager, even if she was late teens, 16, 15, 16, 17 and then we have a story here in Luke uh, chapter 1 of what happened to her. And it was just absolutely amazing. In the sixth month, now that ties back to her cousin uh, who was pregnant with the uh, uh, John, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now Gabriel had just uh, uh, talked to uh, Zechariah. And Zechariah had some questions about this whole thing, about having uh, John the Baptist. And we're going to look at that next week, hope doubted. So Gabriel at that point in Luke 119 stood up straight, put his shoulders back, looked Zechariah in the eye and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Well, that's a pretty strong pronouncement. This same Gabriel is appearing to this uh, teenage girl. She was a virgin, placed to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I stand in the presence of God. And now I'm saying that God is highly favoring you. Now those things, the angel Gabriel, and being highly favored by God, the first thing that goes through your mind, if you're still thinking and you're not frozen up, which I would be, no doubt, was, what does this mean? This is a big deal. If I get back to my apartment after church today, and there's a bunch of security SUVs, and there's a big, long limousine with a presidential crest on it, and there are two guards outside my door, and I walk in, and someone presidential is sitting on my couch, and say, welcome, Jerry. You and me gonna do big things together. I think I would say, say what? <laughs> uh, of course, with our, our, our wonderful presidents, and all our presidents are wonderful because we elect them and they're our presidents, and so we follow them. But uh, you can't help but saying you don't know if that'd be a good invitation or not, you know. Um Mary had that response. She said, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. But let's stop there. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Because before we talk about Mary and the fulfillment of joy, we've got to deal with Mary because we've got a little bit of a bump in the road here. And that's because some of you have a Roman Catholic background, or some of you are aware, that Mary is treated in a special way by the Roman church. And words are used like immaculate conception, perpetual virginity, assumption into heaven, veneration and prayer. And our problem as Protestants, as I said earlier with the creed, is we don't find that in Scripture. And if we don't accept the authority of the Roman church to make these pronouncements, if we don't have other books outside the Bible that we give a, accept as authoritative, we're going to stick to what the Bible says because we're afraid in our fallen condition and with our finite minds in our corrupt hearts, we might do the same thing that our ancestors, going back to Adam and Eve did, and that's make up something that suits us, but that is offensive to God. And so we want to do, you know, the crab thing and get back away from this, which is pretty smart. But if we're backing away from Mary, this young lady in Luke 2, we're losing the example of one of the most remarkable Christians that ever lived, unmatched in her devotion to God and his will. So, let's look at that for just a moment and how this came about. The Catholic Encyclopedia quotes this as saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women. And, of course, this is uh, one, of their, one of their sayings as it takes what uh, is in this chapter. And, um, and it says uh, in the Catechism, It was fitting that the mother in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, should herself be full of grace. She was by sheer grace conceived without sin. Not Jesus, but Mary. And there's a logic there. And Mary, full of grace, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. And this is the dogma of the Immaculate Conception Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by singing the grace and privilege of almighty God and by the virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Now, that is putting a lot of weight on the words Hail Mary, full of grace. Now, if you look at your translation, I'm confident no matter what translation you have in your Bible this morning, it doesn't say full of grace, it says favored. Two times in the Bible, uh, full of grace is used. One is of Jesus in John 1, full of grace and truth. And the other is uh, the deacon Stephen as he's about to be martyred. Nowhere in the Bible does it refer to Mary as full of grace, it refers her to her as favored. Well, then, where does the Roman church get this? They get it from the 4th century translation by Jerome of the translation of the Greek New Testament into Latin because that was what people were learning and speaking in the Roman conquered world. And unfortunately, he translated favored into full of grace. And it's been used that way ever since in the Roman church. No other translation in the world says full of grace. That's why I can say confidently none of you have that translation. So, but then the church, the Roman church says, well, because the church has the authority, we pronounce her full of grace. And therefore, she has immaculate conception, perpetual virginity, assumption in the heavens, she never died. She can uh, intercede for us. Therefore, we not only venerate her, we pray to her. And we say, what Jesus called, uh, Mary calls Jesus my Savior because I'm a sinner and I need salvation. And then she had other children that were brothers and sisters of Jesus. The Roman Church says, well, that was a first century uh, way of saying cousins. So you get into all sorts of things that you have to do here. And we Protestants say, we don't have anything to do with that because not only does it make Mary to be an idol, but it, 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 it dilutes, diminishes, destroys the authority of the Bible. So, on the one hand, we say, no, we're not accepting any of that. But then we make the mistake of losing Mary in it. So, let's get past that bump. Let's reject the bathwater but keep the baby. Let's reject that other stuff and keep the Mary that's in the Bible because she is a wonderful example to us not only of devotion and courage, but of grace and of joy and hope. And I've got an outline for you that you can see on page 7. 7. How was Mary ordinary, how was she extraordinary, and what was the extra? First, how was Mary ordinary? Well, first she was young, middle, late teens. Her family was working class, blue collar, but she had royal blood in her veins. Not only was Joseph descended from David, so was Mary. She was economically poor. Quote, she had the necessities of life, but she didn't have a lot more. We know that, as I mentioned to you, when they sacrificed for the birth of Jesus, they used two turtle doves, not a sheep or a goat. They used what? The poor, the provision that the, for the poor. But there was a reason for that. It's because they weren't hardworking, it's because the Romans had conquered and dominated them and they had a heavy tax. By the time you did the temple tax and all the Jewish taxes and the Roman tax, you're talking about 50, 60% of your income. Some of you are thinking, well, that's what happens in Maryland and the good old US of A. Uh huh. <laughs> I might be saying something there. But there wasn't any margin left in the first century AD. And so they were economically oppressed. Uh, she was troubled, she had a normal human reaction. And she was a sinner in need of a Savior. See, that's where we start. She was not immaculately conceived. That's not in the Bible. She was a flesh and blood human being in need of a Savior. A young girl, early, middle, late teens. And here she's faced by the angel Gabriel. Well, what... uh, is extraordinary. Put the word extra in there. And I have to say, uh, she must have had pretty good parents. Let's give credit. And grandparents. Uh, She had to have good examples. And she had to have good teaching and training. Because first of all, um, she was poised. She didn't faint. If she was in a movie of the 50s or 60s, she'd have to faint, right? Uh, she didn't run away. She was not even dumbstruck like I would have been. She was incredibly poised. There didn't come an email or a text or a postcard, the president will be dropping on you this afternoon. Get ready. Bam! Bam! Gabriel, directly from the presence of God. I don't know what he looked like, but I'll tell you one thing. He was big, bold, bad, and he was probably shining so bright you could hardly look at him. And um, maybe because she was a lady, she didn't take it that way, but that was scared the daylights out of me. Like, can I take this dude on? I don't know. (laughs) She responded positively. I'm just amazed down here. The whole thing ends in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And I like the next line, and the angel left her. Mission accomplished, job done. Because Mary, he, he, he didn't have to deal with the Zachariah. You know. She just had one question, and I like that part. Uh, she said, now, how, how is this going to happen? Not will it happen, but how exactly is this going to happen? This is a thinking girl. And you know? uh, she asked the obvious question. And Gabriel answered it. And what did he say? He said, don't be afraid. I'm thinking of doing a Christmas Eve service called Scary Christmas. There were a lot of scared people at Christmas. I'll give you a taste. The, 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 the shepherds were so scared they were uh, their knees knocked. It says Mary was scared. Don't be afraid. Herod was scared. So come back Christmas Eve. We'll see if we do that. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Give his name Jesus, Yeshua. God says. He will be great, and he will be called son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and when he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will never end. And then she said, how is this going to be? And the angel explained it. Um, She was willing to live a life of innuendo. I mentioned to you last week that only Joseph and the angel and Mary knew what was going on and maybe her cousin or her family. But this is not the type of thing you go broadcast in the community because nobody going to believe you. And I mentioned to you 30 years later, they said to Jesus, at least we know who our father is. And she lived with that her whole life. I have a daughter who lives in a, a town in, in uh, an, uh, the second-oldest town in North Carolina, and and she was talking to someone, and that said, "Well, that was a secret. No one was supposed to know that." And she said, "This is Salisbury. Everybody knows everything." And that's the way Nazareth was in Jerusalem. She lived with that her whole life. She was willing to follow God's will. Herod's wrath—he comes looking for every child to kill it—and don't get in front of the soldier with his sword. Uh, she was talented. She wrote this song down here. It begins at verse 46. It ca- it's called the Magnificat. And that is because in Latin, often they'll name a papal bull or something by the first word. And in Latin, the first word is Magnificat. My soul magnifies. My soul, you know, magnifies, glorifies, praises. First words out of her mouth. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this is a copy that was read earlier of Hannah's song when she prayed and received a son. It has the same things. So Mary was extraordinary because she knew her Bible. She had studied and read about a woman who had hope, and her hope was fulfilled, and so she wrote this. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. She had a view of God that he was omnipotent. He could do what he said he would do. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God has no use for the proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sends the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He said to our fathers. Now there, there it is. God has remembered, remembered what? His promise. Well, where is his promise? It's written down. It's in Genesis. It's in Genesis 3.16 and 15.6 and other places that he said to Abraham, I will bless you, and I'll make your children like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And who are the children of Abraham? Paul said it's not the people that are born of the gene pool and the DNA of Abraham. The children of Abraham are those who have the faith of Abraham, and that's all the believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there's a song, we are the children of Abraham. And so down through the ages and now around the world, the children of Abraham who have the faith of Abraham are like the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea, they cannot be counted. And Mary was counting on that promise, and he said, from you will come a ruler, and he will be a son of David, and and she was a descendant of David. So there were those people in Israel who had a hope in a coming Messiah, and there's the definition of hope. Hope is desire plus expectation. She desired the Messiah to come and rule the world. And she expected it with high expectation because God said it, God promised it, and she believed that God would and could keep his word. She lived in hope. And that desire plus expectation created joy in her life so that she could pin this song, this epistle. I don't know that there's any greater example of trust God and devotion to his will in Scripture. There are plenty of great ones, but I don't know of any that excels her. What an example to young people and middle-aged people and aging people Do you believe God? Are you looking forward with expectation plus desire to the coming of Christ? Notice what it says up here in verse 50. From generation to generation. There had been a lot of generations that had been expecting the Messiah and desiring it and had hope but he had not come but finally he did and Mary was the chosen one so what if your hope is not being fulfilled your expectation of the coming of Christ in your lifetime you still have hope because your desire and your expectation are not diminished what your job is is to pass that hope on to the next generation so that in every generation there are men and women who have the hope of the appearing, the blessed hope, Scripture calls it, of the coming of Christ. And if he comes in our generation, hope fulfilled like Mary. If he doesn't come in our generation, we still have the hope of his appearing because we believe he's true to his word He's on his way, and we pass that hope on to our children and grandchildren. That's why we're here. It came down through uncounted generations. You could count them in uh, Matthew and Luke. Generation to generation, that hope came down intact, effective, to this teenager named Barry. And when she told the Messiah is coming and you're going to be his mother, she didn't have to say, say what? How does that, where's that in the Bible? She said, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been waiting for it. My mother was waiting for it. My grandmother was waiting for it. My great-grandmother was waiting for it. And they lived in hope, and they died in hope. And now the hope is fulfilled. Generation to generation. That's why we labor in Sunday school and labor in vacation Bible school. That's why we make sure the next generation has the hope. Because if he comes, we want him to know what's happening. If he doesn't come, we want him to keep the hope and pass it on. Mary was the carrier of hope. And it turns out she is a fulfillment of hope. And you can see what hope fulfilled looks like in the Magnificat. Desire plus expectation. Is that blessed hope driving your life? Are you looking forward to it and desiring it and believing it's coming because he promised? And if it delays, he said, he's delaying so that more people can enter the kingdom. Think how many people became Christians in 2018. And if he had come a year ago, they would have missed the kingdom. If he's delaying, he has a good reason. 2018 has almost passed and he hasn't returned, but I promise you this we are one year closer to his return. And the hope didn't get dimmer, it got more precious and more expected, and more desired, and more believed. There's Mary. Mary, an amazing person. Our example of preparation, of desire, of expectation, of hope, and then fulfillment. Because if he came the first time to die, you know he's going to come the second time to rule. Ain't no doubt about it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Christmas is about you. Thank you for the music and for the scriptures and for the creeds. Will you work in us desires plus expectation? A growing desire to see you return and rule and a certain expectation and assurance like Mary had that you will do what you promised. And out of that, Father, will you give us joy, joy in our King who now rules in our hearts and in our churches. And one day rule our world, we ask that in Christ's name,